Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning. Five years ago, a most audacious rescue mission caught the attention of the entire world. By now, many of you remember 12 young teenagers aged 11 to 16, together with their 25-year-old football coach, after a training session, decided to explore a cave to celebrate one of their members' birthday. But unbeknownst to them, the monsoon rains had come earlier, and it rained and it rained, and it cut them off from the entrance, and it drove them deeper and deeper into the darkness of the cave because the water was just rising and rising and rising. Soon the alarm bells uh, were raised, and the local mayor, he, he got the policemen down, he got the soldiers down, and the whole nation was involved, and eventually many of us uh, got to pray for this and got to hear what is happening. This is now, for many of us in memory, 2018, the Thai cave rescue, the famous Thai cave rescue. What many of us uh, did not know, of course, is that how dangerous this mission actually was. You know, it involved cave diving. And for those of you who do dive, diving in open waters is already a challenge. This is not diving in open waters, this is diving in a cave. When you surface, you don't hit water and you can take off your mask and breathe. You hit the rock, you know, cave diving. It is so incredibly challenging. Many of us we weren't aware. And, you know, some of us remember what uh, Elon Musk tried to do, isn't it? He says, I will send in my mini submarine. And we look and say, shake our head, doesn't work. <laughs> no, in such situations. The tide was rising, the waters, the flowing was just coming and coming and they were racing against the time. Would they, would they be able to get these children out in time? Because they were working not just against the clock, but they were working against the flow. This morning, that's exactly what we are looking at in the text, against the flow. What do I mean by that? You see, friends, whether we believe it or not, the world is moving in a particular direction, in a mighty flow. And those of us who are Christ followers, we are moving also. But the direction that God calls us to move often finds itself in longer hits against the tide that the world throws against us. And so, like these young people, we find ourselves pushed further, further, further away from the light into the darkness into the darkness of the cave itself. How can you and I, as Christ followers, remain faithful, loyal to Him in the midst of going against the flow? That's exactly what we're going to look at this morning. And before we begin, I invite us to close our eyes, bow our heads. We're going to invite the Lord to be present among us. Father, we are so grateful. So, so grateful you are here. You are here with us in the worship. You are here with us, whether on site and various ones who are joining us on the online space. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for your peace over our nation. Father, we pause now to remember those who are hurting in this world, for the many who have lost their loved ones and family in the earthquake in Syria and Turkey, for the war that's still ongoing in Ukraine. Father, we ask for your presence to bring peace and hope in these dark and difficult times. May many reach out to you and find you there for them. We ask now, Lord, for ourselves too. For we too face a dark world that pushes us often in the opposite direction, driven along by the torrential tide of time and work and just pure busyness. This morning, would you come, redirect our hearts in the midst of the flow and help us to live well as your servant Daniel did, against the flow. For we ask and pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone says, Amen. Good morning and welcome to Covenant's Pulpit. Many of you know we are preaching through the book of Daniel this year. And last Sunday, our leadership mentor, Reverend Edmund Chan, he brought us through the first seven verses of chapter one of the book of Daniel. And there we are reminded in the midst of all the crazy things that's happening in the world that God is perfectly in control, profoundly in charge and proactively involved. That is our God. He's perfectly in control. He's profoundly in charge and he's proactively involved in our world. But this morning, as we come into the text from verse 8 to verse 16, we find the person of Daniel from which this book is named. And the beginning, the first vignette, the first story of his adventures in, adventures in Babylon. 
And like these young people in the cave, they find themselves against the mighty Babylon River that's throwing against them. That's why we've entitled this morning's message, Against the Flow. By the way, this is the same title that Professor Lennox in his commentary in the book of Daniel is also entitled, Against the Flow. And you will ask the question, well, Pastor, how do we see Daniel going against the flow? How, how do we see it in the text? So we must ask, what is the context? For that, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, and let's look at verse 2. Daniel chapter 1, let's look at verse 2. And this is what it reads in the ESV. It's also shown on your screen. It says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of the Lord, and he brought them to the land of Shina, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now we pause a moment here and, and say, what's so unusual about this verse? I got them to underline the, the word the land of Shina because the land of Shina is very significant here. You see, when Bible authors, they, they choose certain words to put in their text, uh, it is to signal, it's to sound up something for them. He could have easily used the word Babylon because that's basically where the land of Shina is. But he chose the land of Shina. What's the significance of the land of Shina here? Because as any Bible reader, as anyone reading the book of the Scriptures, by the time you come to this, the land of Shina must sound a bell to ding, hey, I've heard that somewhere. Where, where, where did I hear of the land of Shina before? And those of you of us who have been faithfully reading the Bible as the Jews have, they remember I first came across it in the book of Genesis. So in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, this is what it reads. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and the people migrated from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shina, and they settled there. Ding! Land of Shina! Here, Daniel chose the word land of Shina. What's the significance? What is the land of Shina all about? What is Genesis 11 all about? It is the place of first a united, concerted effort by men and women of the entire world to wring their hands against God and say, we don't need you. We can get along very well. Thank you very much. It's the first united rebellion against God. That's what happens in the land of Shina. So when Daniel chose the word here, the land of Shina, it's supposed to ring those bells, ding, ding, ding. They're not just in exile in Babylon, they're exiled in a place where the whole system is against the God of the Jews. It's against the creator God of the entire universe. That's the first thing we must pay attention to. But more than that, look at what happens to Daniel and his friends. In verse 4, it says, Youth without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. What do we call such people today? We call such people hypo, high potential, isn't it? And what do Singaporeans do with hypo, high potential people? We give them scholarships. <laughs> we send them to universities here and there. Hopefully, they'll come back, serve the nation, and build the civil service and, and build the country, isn't it? That, that's basically what's happening down here. You select all these hypo guys, and then hopefully, they will, they'll do good. They will build the nation, and that's exactly what's happening. But, but more than that, look at what it says. It says to teach them the language of the Chaldeans. The language of the Chaldeans. What does it mean? It, to inculturate them. They, they were Hebrews, Hebraic language, and now they have to learn Akkadian, the cuneiform writing, and, and all of this. It's, it's a whole different reorientation. So just to give you a, a, a way of thinking, uh, um, some, many of us here, we have friends who come primarily from a culture or a family where, which speaks primarily Mandarin. You, we have many of that, isn't there? Some of you come from that background. And in, in the Mandarin language, you, you, you think idiomatically, you speak idiomatically, and it's primarily pictorial, pictorial. Those of us coming from a more uh, Western education using English as our primary medium, the way we think is primarily more linear and conceptual in ideas. It's not wrong, it's just different. And so you imagine this, he's coming from this Hebrew and suddenly he's plunged into this. And more than that, look at what it says. It says, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. So it's not just ideas that's thrown into him, you know. It's a whole multi-sensorial experience, dietary habits, dietary habits. 
by the time I reach my age, someone of my age and different ones of us here, my palate is set in a certain way. I don't know whether you know what I mean. I like certain food. I'm born in Asia. I love Asian food. Nothing wrong with the rest of the stuff, but it's just I prefer Asian food. My palate is wired in a certain way. And now you change yourself to ah, this kind of, you know, different kind of food, pita bread and everything. Uh, no, no, nothing wrong with pita bread, please. It's just different. Lah. Huh? It's just different. So you can imagine that. You're, it's all different, you know. You're disoriented and all that. And not just for that. How long are they supposed to be educated in this language with all this food? For three years. Three years. I mean, this is hot housing, guys. This is hot housing. This is indoctrination. This is whole multicultural redirection of these young men. And not just that. Look at what it says. In verse 7, the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar, etc. They changed their names. They changed. Our names are very important to us, no friends. Can you imagine someone comes up to you? Oh, your name is uh, whatever. Uh, let's say, uh, okay, let's say uh, Sharon. Pastor Sharon. Your name is Pastor Sharon. From henceforth, you'll be Pastor, uh, whatever, uh, <laughs> Bernadette. <laughs> Pastor Bernadette. I mean, it's like, how dare you teach my name? I'm Pastor Sharon, you know? And this is absolutely disequilibrating. You know, in, in education pedagogy, this is, this is called disequilibration. Disequilibration. You totally turn that guy around, change everything. Everything is all around. It's just totally rechanging it. And, and this is the mighty Babylonian river, the re-enculturating, the indoctrination to change Daniel into a Chaldean. That's what many of us face in this world. We face a mighty river that's moving in a particular direction and it sweeps. It's trying to change us, mow us, shape us into a particular form. You say, what do you mean? Can you give some examples? So think about it. This world that we live in, by and large, is primarily materialistic and atheistic. In, in what way? It tells you, for example, that we are chance cosmic accidents, the products of blind evolutionary forces. Whereas the scriptures tell us, no, you are created in the image of God. You are chosen. You are deeply loved. So you see the name that the world is trying to set upon us? You are blind products of chance. And God says, no, you are chosen by me and love. Very different, you know? Different ones trying to set over us. What will you believe? So you, you, you think about it. And it's not just that. Because there's no God, there's no accountability, there's no right and wrong, you can do whatever you want. Eat, live, sleep, be happy, marry, because this life is all there is. And while it may not come across in that tone, but by and large, the world moves us in that direction. And if we are not careful, we are swept along in those thoughts as well. And, and think about the pressures. The pressures our young ones face today because of not just educational pressures, but the pressure from social media to TikTok in a certain way, to Insta in a certain way, to be accepted. This is what it means to be the, the standard. And, and this is the pressures our young people face. And for the rest of us who, who are working, you know, we want to work hard. We want to succeed in this life. And by all means, let's do so. Unless our measure of success is primarily measured in material terms alone. Do you see that? Or, or what, what the media tells us, just take whatever you want, when you want, consume, feed your lust, pawn, sex, money, whatever you want, buy, feed yourself. And it's all directed for ourselves. It is. No, these, are, these messages are there throughout the day. It's flooding us in the advertisements, in the social media. It comes to us. It seeks us out. It's seeking to conform us, shape us, mold us into a particular form. And whether you and I believe it or not, friends, we are living in Babylon. We are living in Babylon. By that, I do not mean that Singapore is Babylon. What I'm saying is that in the world, there are good things. God has blessed the world with tremendous beauty. But Babylon is any system that sets itself out to be godless and say, there is no God. We don't need God to carry on in this world. That, my friends, is Babylon. It says, is, is this true? Is this true? In the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, it presents to us two women. Two women. That is the beautiful bride who is the church of God. And on the other hand, there is the prostitute and her name is Babylon. She is totally against God and all that he's doing. For example, in Revelation 14, verse 8, in, in your screen right now, it reads, another angel, a second, followed, saying, fallen, fallen is 
Babylon the Great, not a real thing, but she who has made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Babylon is a world system that has set itself up against God. And friends, you and I are living in that world system that's trying to shape us and mold us in a particular direction. How can you and I be faithful Christ followers against the flow? This morning from the text, the scriptures tell us at least two ways in verse 8 to verse 16. It says, firstly, we must set our hearts. Secondly, we must stand our grounds. Set our hearts and stand our ground. How do we set our hearts? And so we look at the first one. To move against the flow, we must set our heart. In verse 8, the first part, verse it's a rather long sentence, but we look at the first part. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. The word resolved is very important. In the Hebrew, the, the root word is the word shem. Shem. The verbal form in the imperfect is uh, yashem. He set his heart. So it tells us Daniel set. He was set. Uh, the, the word heart is not there, but the idea is he set something. He resolved, he set his heart towards something. Now, it's interesting because there's a word play that's going on that's hard to see in our translations. So verse 7, if you go to verse 7 and on the slides, it, it says, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel called Belshazzar. All that. The, the two words down there, gave and called, also come from the Hebrew word shem. So just as Daniel set his heart, the, the, the chief of the eunuchs set over them. He vashem them. He gave them names. Now, in, 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 the, in the translation, it is best seen actually in the Hebrew text. So I'm going to show you the Hebrew text now. Don't worry about it. Okay, just uh, Hebrew reads from the right to the left. Okay, right to the left. And you look at verse 7, verse 8. It both begins with the same word. The, verse, the same word is vashem. Vayashem. So verse 7 says, Vayashem, the, the, the chief eunuch, Vayashem over Daniel. He sat over Daniel. And then right at the first verse of verse 8, it says, Daniel, Vayashem. He sat also. So the contrast, it's meant for us to see that. There's a person trying to set over, trying to force them, trying to move them in a particular direction. But Daniel, Vayashem, he sat. Do you see that? This is very important. It's very important because it tells us what is the first thing God is trying to do, calling us to do. Somewhere along that journey, we have to set our hearts. Something happened this week. Just share with you. It's a little funny, but it happened uh, in one of the meetings in ACK. It was a Wednesday afternoon. We were having a conversation discussing moving and how, how, how God is shaping and what, what are some things we must do to move covenant forward in certain ways. And one of my colleagues who was sitting across the, the table, uh, she said, you know, many years ago, uh, I asked Pastor Kai a question uh, and he gave me an answer which till today I will never forget. Uh. I, I looked at her and said, I've I, I forgotten what I said to you. <laughs> I also don't know what. So I asked, what, what, what's the question I, I, I asked you? And, and she said, you, uh, what's the question rather you asked me? He says, I asked you this question. Pastor, what's at the heart of discipleship? What's at the heart of discipleship? And I'll never forget the, the answer you said. I said, tell me, I've forgotten already. <laughs> He said, you replied, the heart of discipleship is the discipleship of the heart. The heart of discipleship, all that God is doing, all that, all that covenant is trying to do, work with God, is the discipleship of our hearts. You know, friends, that is so profound, I must not have said it. It was one of those what I call Holy Spirit moments. And you know, you know sometimes you say things, wow, so clever, you realize it's not you. It's God speaking through you. So I take that as a Holy Spirit moment. The Lord just used you at that time to bless someone. But this is profoundly true, my friends. All that God is trying to do in your life, my life, is not just getting things done. Yes, there's a place for that. But it doesn't begin with getting things done. It begins with the heart. Have we Yashem our heart? Have we set our hearts to fully follow Jesus? Because if that is not set in place, uh, everything else fails. I, I deeply believe chapter 1 is critical for the book of Daniel. Critical for the book of Daniel in this verse where Daniel yashem his heart. Because if Daniel had not set his heart, I believe the rest of the book of Daniel would never have been written. Because God is looking for someone to pour his favor and his blessing over. And he looks for men and women who have set their hearts, who yashem their hearts to follow him fully. You know, this happened, therefore he could stand before Nebuchadnezzar in, in chapter 2 and then before Darius in the lands then and read through and pray to pass uh, uh, in Jeremiah 17. And all this, the book, the rest of the book of Daniel came about because of this one moment. This one moment where Daniel set his heart. 
He set his heart against the flow. He decided, no, I will make my stand. I have set my heart. This is very, very important. In 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9a, this is what it reads. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the world to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. My friends, God is still looking for men and women whose hearts are yashem for Him, whose hearts are set for Him. And it begins with you and I. I'd like to share another story. I and shared with permission of a covenantal lady, a young lady. She, so I, let, let me give you the context again. Uh, she's in between her studies. She's finished her A-level stroke IB program. She's waiting to enter university. Uh, the A-level results just came out on Friday. And so she's got her results now. She knows whether she can apply. But the course that she wanted to go to, uh, if she can have an internship, uh, it will highly favor her to get into the course that she wants. Okay? So that's the context. That's the context. And... Praise God, she got into this internship. Yes! And with this internship, if she goes through it, the chances of her getting the cost of choice, very high, very high. But she discovered, hey, there is a, a course that Covenant is having, it's called IDMCI Uni, and it's to prepare our young people to enter into the world of the university, which is not exactly uh, uh, friendly to our faith. It is actually preparing us against the flow, this three months program. Unfortunately, the dates kind of clash. Okay, so she, she's trying to negotiate. Huh? She's trying to negotiate to attend both the internship at the same time. Hopefully, the dates will allow her to go for IDMCI Uni as well. So that's the context. Huh? Okay, so now I'm going to read to you uh, her text uh, to the person in charge of IDMCI Uni. So this is what he said. He says, Hi, Guoyi, which is the person in charge of the program. He says, After you've talked about IDMCI Uni yesterday, I went home, I talked through, and looking through the IDMCI Uni website, I realized, wow, it's about learning about God, growing my faith. And I believe that's far more important than any internship I can get. And so I've decided to join the program. Meanwhile, I've written to my internship coordinator this morning to request for a shorter internship that will allow me to end by 13 March so that I can join IDMCI uh, Uni. I understand that the sign-ups for IDMCI Uni have already been closed, but uh, could you allow me to put in a late application? So this was what she wrote to the coordinator. And then later, some days later, she followed up with a message to the coordinator and she said, uh, she says, actually, I, I will be withdrawing from my internship. The coordinator said it is not possible to cut down the internship to one month. But no worries. Listen to what she said. I've made my decision. Knowing this potential outcome so that I'm all right with falling through with it. I want to understand God's word better and to be able to grow in my faith. I've decided to apply for this program because I wish to build a stronger spiritual foundation for myself and to be more consistent in my faith. Here was a young lady faced with a choice. Faced with a choice. I could do the internship which will stand me in good ground to get what I want or I can do this. And she made a choice. She yashemmed her heart. Now, please hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all of us therefore must jettison our internship uh, and joining IDMCI Uni is the only way to prove your loyalty to Jesus. <laughs> Please, uh, I'm not saying that at all. But for her, for this young lady, that was what it meant. Does that make sense? Different ones of us, it will mean different things for you. The Lord will lead you on that journey, somewhere on that line where you have to yashem your heart, make a decision to choose to follow Jesus fully. This morning, God invites us for that. Because, friends, if our hearts are first not set, not your shem for Him, the tide will sweep you along. Many of us, myself included, we find ourselves being swept, swept, swept away by ideas, worldviews, totally foreign to the Scriptures, lies that we believe in. And unless we set our hearts right, we will be swept along. We will not be able to go against the flow. Friends, that's the first thing God is calling us to do this morning, to Yashem, to set our hearts. But there is another thing besides setting our heart. It is to stand our ground. And so would you read with me in the Scriptures? I will not be showing this on the screen uh, because I think it's important for us to look at the Scriptures so that you find it's from the text itself. In the second part of verse 8, reading second part of verse 8, all the way to verse 16, a bit long but worth the read, it says, Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink 
For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head <laughs> with the king. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of Eunuch had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Uh, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, and, let, and then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were much better in appearance and fatter in flesh, than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. It is one thing to yashem our hearts, to set our hearts. It's another thing to draw a line in the sand, to stand our ground. It is really not easy. So one of the questions people ask is, you know, why did Daniel choose this food? What was wrong with the food? Was there anything wrong with the food? What, what, what's, what's the deal going on down here? Now, there are three common ways we look at this situation, why Daniel didn't want to eat the food. The first, it has to do with the Levitical laws in Leviticus chapter 11, kosher laws. So the food is not kosher, and, and therefore Daniel says, oh no, I will not take the food, you know. And that's possible, that's possible to be distinct as a Jew, you're kosher, you, you know, that, that's possible. But that's not necessarily true, because in Daniel chapter 10 verse 2, you don't have to look at it now, you can just write it down for those of you who are taking notes. Daniel 10 verse 2, it tells us subsequently, he did take of choice foods and meats, etc. So it's not just it. Anyway, the Levitical laws have nothing to talk about wine. Wine is a blessing from the Lord. So why the food and the wine? So while possible, still not very sure. Okay, number one. The second, it could be food offered to idols. Now, oh, this is very true. Uh, this, this is very true. People in those days, food will be offered to uh, Marduk, the, 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 the gods of the Babylonians. And then after that, it will be taken by the king and then distributed by everyone. And those of us who live in homes like this, uh, it, it's still like that, no? It, it's still carrying. So it's very true. Now, while this is again possible, you know, when they offer food to the idols, they offer everything, the meats and the vegetables and the grain, everything. So why this one meat, the one but vegetables can? See, so again, a question mark. We're not sure. We're not sure. Third possibility, higher chance. Third possibility is that to eat of somebody's food is actually to be beholden to that person. So, for example, uh, you know, the, the, the king, he's the king, he's the boss, he's the, big, he's the top dog. Huh? He distributes food to everyone. And when you eat his food, you're basically pledging your allegiance to him. And so that could be the thing that, oh, you know, if I eat of this food, then I'm pledging my allegiance to this, to Nebuchadnezzar, but I want to be loyal to my God. Could be. Could be. Huh? And what is the correct answer? Actually, we don't really know. We are not sure. It could be a combination of this. I think number three has, 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 a, has a good weight behind it. But I think it's a combination of all this. But in any case, this is what John Walton, a Bible expositor, this is what he says. And for me, it makes sense. So, so just see whether it makes sense to you as well. It says, it is not so much something in the food that defiles, as much as it is the total program of assimilation. At this point, the Babylonian government is exercising control over every aspect of their lives. They have little means to resist the forces of assimilation that are controlling them. They seize on one of the few areas where they can still exercise choice as an opportunity to preserve their distinct identity. I think this makes sense. I think this makes sense. In other words, they recognize that, wow, all these things, you know, we're just pushed along. But in this area, we've got a little bit of what we call wriggle room. A little bit of wriggle room. And because of that, we can maneuver. And I think we will take a stand over here. And they took a chance. They took a chance. And I think the Lord honored that. So that's what I think is happening in this situation. Now, if this is true, we need to draw a line in the sand. We need to stand our ground. How do we do it? I present to you from the text that some things that we can learn from Daniel in doing this. The first, three things. The first is, we need to choose our battles to fight. We need to choose our battles to fight. What do I mean by that? You see, this mighty wave that come along, Daniel didn't fight every battle. You know? He didn't fight every battle. What do I mean? You know, this idea of assimilated into this program for three years, he never made any noise. This idea of giving you a new name, he never fought that. But he decided, hey, this one, I, I think I, I, I will fight over this one. Does that make sense? Not everything in this world, as I said, is bad. Not everything, oh, this against God. Not everything is like that. 
And I think living wise to be as wise as serpent and gentle as doves, we need to choose our battles wisely, which is in our terms, what is the hill to die on? Which is the hill to die on? And we need to decide. It will be different for different ones of us, but we still need to be wise in choosing our battles. Number one. Secondly, you need to do it respectfully. And that's what Daniel did. Daniel didn't say, oh, they're going to assimilate us, uh, three years, uh, give us all these dietary things, uh, non-kosher, etc. We stage a rebellion. No! He didn't do anything like that. He respectfully went to the right person in charge, which is the eunuch, and he requested permission. And I think this is important. We can make resistance, but we do so respectfully. Many of us still live with our parents, uh, different ones of you, and some of your parents may not be uh, followers of Jesus. And ancestor worship is a very real thing in, in, in our context here. So let me try to address that. When Tina and myself, when we got married many years ago, we knew one of the issues would be we would have to perform some rituals, some rites, involve uh, putting the joystick, offering food to our ancestral plucks and all this. And so prior to the wedding, we, we, we did have a conversation with our parents and we explained to them and we said, you, you know I love grandma, you've seen how I live with grandma, you know, and we love her very much, uh, but we will honour her, we will respect grandma's memory, but we cannot do these rituals, why? Because that is tantamount to worship. And so we respectfully asked mum and dad, we will stand before the plug in respect, but we will not do all these rituals, is that okay? Gratefully, mum and dad says, okay, wow, phew, good. And then the wedding day came, and you know, the moment came, and you are standing before your ancestral plug. And it is not the parents usually most of the time, it is the rest of the relatives, you know. And they... And you know, I'm... I, I'm, I'm sure my parents felt pressure. We felt pressure. We felt pressure. But we decided, no, we have spoken respectfully. We've made a decision. So Tina and myself, we held hands and we stood in front of the ancestral plot without offering. And this is what we did. You asked, what do you do, pastor, to respect and honour your ancestors? We prayed. We thank God for our grandparents. We thank God for a loving grandma, for her wonderful life to help me. And we fond, deep, deep, fond memories of grandma. We thank God for her life. And that was it. That was it. No, friends, different ones of us will walk that journey differently. But somewhere you have to make that stand respectfully. Respectfully. Honour, respect always. Worship, no. It's a difference between respect, honouring, and worshipping. We must draw that distinction. How it works out for you, you know, we need to have that conversation. But we must always honour, always respect. So how do we make that decision? We need to make that decision choosing which battle to fight with tremendous respect. But the third one, it says down here in verse 9, God gave Daniel favour. We need God's favour. We desperately need God's favour. It's not mechanical, you know, oh, these are the three steps you... Get. No, no, we need the presence of God in our life. We need God's favour. Now, I want to share with you there's something very strange going on from verse 9 all the way to verse 11. What is so strange? Let me tell you. So I read uh, verse 9 and 10 uh, to you. It says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Verse 10, The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, Of course, no problem, carry on. What you want to do, go ahead. Is that in your Bible? No, right? That's not in your Bible, isn't it? Basically, it says, God gave Daniel favor when he approached the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs, we expect him to say yes or no. Because God gave favour, we expect the chief of eunuch to say what? Yes! The chief of eunuch said yes or no? No! <laughs> we, we have to read a text like this and say, what is going on? Uh, sorry, in my lingo, uh, in Cantonese, uh, it says, Kong mat ye. <laughs> Sorry, translated for our friends, is what on earth is happening down here? It's very strange. Because it would make perfect sense, for example, if verse 10 is totally taken away. So, for example, it says, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion aside the, the chief of eunuch. Run your finger down to verse 11. Uh. Then Daniel said to the steward from the chief of eunuch, and everything goes about. Do you see it? It makes perfect sense if you take out verse, this verse down here. Because it runs counter to our expectation. 
isn't it? If God gave favor, sure, yes, ma. But here, God gave favor, no, leh. So, question mark. What is happening down here? So, let me attempt. Let me attempt. This is what I think is happening down here. And I stand to be corrected because there are smarter ones out there. I stand to be corrected. I think this is what's happening. We often cannot read tone in the text. We often cannot read tone in the text. So this is what I think is happening. God did give favor to Daniel with the chief eunuch. He did give favor. But the way it's written may not capture what is happening down. May, may not be nuanced well. So my translation now, please forgive me, I'm translating, paraphrasing it. It says, So God gave favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuch, and the chief of the eunuch looked at Daniel. And he says, You know, Daniel, I can't do this, you know. You know why I can't do this? Because if I do this and, and, and Nabu sees you guys, you know, not so uh, fit, huh? you know, my head will roll, but I can't, you know. I can't, you know. And I think he's doing that, pointing to his chief steward who's standing beside him. He's hinting, I think, here that he can't make a fiat statement to everyone because it's tantamount to, again, Chinese, rebellion. Now, how can I do something? Words will get, I'll die. You know, I can't do it, but, you know, I can't do it. And then the chief steward, oh, he's signaling to Daniel and the chief steward. Because then verse 11 will make sense, you see. Then Daniel said to the steward, and the steward said, oh, oh, can, can, let's try this. Does that make sense? That's what I think is happening. I stand to be corrected, but I think that's probably what's happening down here. It makes, that's why, why, why it's included down here. So, in other words, God's favour is there, and we need to be sensitive to the Spirit, how the Spirit is leading, and then we move, we flow according to the Spirit. It's very important because God is proactively involved in our lives, and we just need to be sensitive to Him. So what is no, sometimes may be another way, as in this situation. So friends, when we do make a stand, God calls us to choose our battles carefully, be wise in choosing our battles, do so respectfully, but desperately we need the presence of God. We really need the presence of God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, Pastor, you know, it's easy for you standing up the pulpit uh, to say all these pontifications. Uh, I work in the marketplace. You no, know, I face all these pressures every day, you know. Why? Wow, you think so easy. Uh. I'm not saying it's easy, my friends. It's very tough. All of us, we face a mighty torrent trying to move against the flow. It is tough, but it is not impossible. It is not impossible. And I want to encourage you, set your heart. Yashem your heart. And God will grant you that. Here's a testimony of someone in sales, a covenantal, again, used with permission. And I was told in sales is one of the hardest thing, like, hardest thing to stand your ground because you need to make the numbers. Yeah. And they are real tangible things, you know. So this is what this covenantal gave, shared with permission. It says, it was quarter ending. The two level above me, VP, called me on the last day of the quarter in the evening about a sizable deal. He mentioned that it would be important to bring in the deal. But I explained to him, you know, the deal is firm, my boss, but we still have not received the official PO. We've not received the official purchase order. Then my VP said over the phone, listen, this order is very important. This order is very important and you must do the right thing. Do the right thing, huh? And hung up the phone. What do you think the VP was telling him to do? <laughs> he, said, he said, wow, I'm confused. My VP was actually telling me to do the right thing by downloading the order without receiving the official purchase, the PO, that is non-compliant. That is non-compliant. This is tremendous pressure. You know, this is someone who will determine your, your career path. Huh? What would you do? He said, wow, it was so difficult. I, because the time, the clock is ticking, this is the last day of the quarter. If I don't put it in now, you know, and uh, agree with my VP, I, I, I may be in big trouble. He prayed, and by God's grace, he had the conviction. He says, no, I will really do the right thing. I will really do the right thing by not downloading the order. You know, friends, the Lord honoured him. The Lord honoured him. Subsequently, nothing more of the matter was heard, and he continued to grow uh, in that organisation. Now, friends, I'm not saying that it will happen all the time like this. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is somewhere along the line, we must decide what is right in the sight of God that will bring him glory and honour and do the right thing. And when 
You do that, I believe God will grant you an incredible future like He does Daniel. But it begins when you and I, Yashem, our hearts, set our hearts. This morning, the Lord reminds us, in this coming year, in the book of Daniel, we are going to look at Daniel facing tremendous, tremendous pressures to accede, to do things which are totally against God and how he was able to withstand that pressure. But it didn't begin in those chapters. It begins in chapter 1 today where he yashemed his heart. He set his heart to fully follow Jesus. This morning, we started off with the story about the Thai cave rescue. I'd like to come back to the Thai cave rescue and, and close this story. You know, 10 days, 10 days after uh, they went in on the 23rd of June, on the 2nd of July, two cave divers from Britain, some of the best in the world, I was told, John Volaton and Rick Stanton, diving in deeper and deeper, they found the first miracle. First miracle. Not one, not two, not three. All 13 of them were found alive. Four kilometers, four kilometers away from the entrance of the cave. Four kilometers. In a cave that is flooded for four kilometers. That's the first miracle. They were alive and well. But you know what's really difficult now? How on earth to get these guys out swimming underwater for four kilometers, taking the best of the best two and a half hours, two and a half hours cave diving in utter darkness to come out. Many of us don't understand what I've just said. Go and watch the rescue in Nat Geo. You, you, your jaw will drop. Like that also can. It's, in, it's, it's like we found them alive, but maybe it's better not to have found them because we, we, we can't bring them out. There's no way to wait until the monsoon season. That's in October. That was in June and July. It's too long. That oxygen levels are falling. You know, they're getting sick and everything. And how to drill down. It's, it's impossible to drill down. All these things. All these things. And finally, they settled on this incredibly audacious plan. So audacious and so secret, the whole world didn't know about it. Because it was never done before. It's never been done before. God provided an incredible, uh, another cave diver who not just happened to be a doctor. I mean, doctors get different kinds of doctors. You get GP, you got orthopedics, you got ENT, different. But this doctor who cave dives, is a good cave diver, a great cave diver, he happens to be an anesthetist as well. Wow, how chow, how, how coincidental. And they are friends with this cave diving community. The first time they called this doctor, the doctor says, Xiao ah. No, no. That's translated crazy, yeah. But it's, it's impossible. I can tell you a hundred ways these kids can die by anesthesia alone. I, I won't do it. It's impossible because the death is on me, you know. But after the, he recognized there's really no way to get these guys out, you just got to watch that documentary and see how impossible it is. I ask your friends who are doctors how impossible it is. To, to anesthetize, Anesthesia, people can die of anesthesia in a normal OT. Uh. This is anesthetize them, then bring them with a full mask, swimming underwater for two and a half hours. You know, it's like, it's hot, it's crazy. They, they never told anyone because they realized if the world knew, uh, the world would be up in arms. We won't allow you to do that. But they had no choice. They had no choice. Their arms are totally tight. Either we bring them out like that because the rains were coming, the flow was coming. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks after they fully rescued them, the whole cave was totally flooded. If they didn't act that time, these boys would be dead. They will be dead. Nobody knew that. Lah. Subsequently, it didn't happen. Lah. But down there, down there, they made that decision. And it was a miracle. It's a miracle that they brought not just one, not just two, but all 13 of them out alive. And the whole world cheered. The whole world cheered. And finally, when they realized, wow, you did the impossible. You anesthetized them. You put them... It, it was just a miracle. Everyone in that says, this is incredible. This is a miracle. Over 10,000 people were involved. Soldiers, divers, naval seals, farmers. Everyone was involved to save 13 lives. This was an incredibly audacious rescue mission against the flow. You know, friends, why do we do what we do today? Why do we pledge our allegiance to Jesus because history tells us of an even more audacious rescue plan. So audacious, no one would have thought about it. That God, almighty, holy creator, would come down, take on human form. The sinless, 
Savior to die on the cross. A most incredibly horrible death for us, for all of us. That, my friends, is the ultimate audacious rescue plan that God did for us. That's why, friends, God calls us today. We need to stand against the flow because He, this King, is coming back. He calls us to pledge our hearts to Yashemit so that you and I may stand against the flow. Let us pray. Let us pray. Dear Father, we are incredibly grateful for these 13 boys who were rescued and really it's a, it's a miracle upon miracle that these things happen. But it's just a reminder for us of, of your audacious plan to do the impossible, Lord, to rescue sinners that you would give your son's life for us. This morning, Lord, we acknowledge we need help. We want, to, we want to fight this mighty current that moves against us so that we are further and further away from our King. We ask you this, this day to help us set our hearts, to Yashem our hearts, so that we may stand against the current. Men and women, I believe God has spoken from His Word to us this morning. I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond because this response, as Daniel did, will set the tone for the rest of the book of Daniel. And I believe this response that you make will set the tone for the rest of your life today. You don't have to do it, but if you do, realize you are, you are saying this to Jesus. And with no one looking around, and if that's the desire of your heart, would you pray this simple prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, help me this day to set my heart, to Yashem my heart, so that Jesus is my one true Lord and King. And when the situation calls for it, Help me to stand my ground in such a way as to bring you great glory. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Father, you hear these prayers of various ones on site and online. I pray today your spirit will just so overwhelm us, cause us to rise against the flood, against the flow, and bring you great glory. I'm going to give us a moment to respond also for those of us who are on site. If you want to do so online, by all means, but this is not a measure of superiority. It is a measure of dependence. And if you've prayed that prayer with no one looking around, and really, my friends, no pressure, really no pressure, wrong kind of pressure, no pressure, you're led by the Lord, would you stand if you prayed that prayer? Would you stand? Would you stand? If you prayed that prayer, would you stand? Would you stand? I invite you to stand. Don't look around. Please don't look around. Please don't look around. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Don't look around. 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 Thank you, Lord. 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 Father, this morning we stand in this simple way. Pray a blessing for all of us, for various ones who, for whatever reason, are unable to do so. I, I pray your blessings upon them as well. But for those of us who have set our hearts this morning, I pray you would direct us when the time comes uh, to make that stand that will bring you great glory. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Shall we all stand? Shall we all stand as we close with this song? It is to our King that we pledge our allegiance. Crown Him. Crown Him. Crown Jesus with many crowns. Let's exalt His name. Crown Him. He's our King. Crown many crowns. The
are my Lord and we crown you Lord you deserve all the praise all the praise please be seated we want to go against the tide because Singaporeans are often known as Russians so today we don't want to rush off let's spend the next one minute to reflect on these two questions shown on the screen here was there a time I set my heart to fully follow Jesus how does that decision stand today how can I remain distinctive as Christ's follower where God has placed me in? Let's spend the next few moments to just reflect before I pray for all of us. Father, empower us with your spirit to stand against the tide. Help us to set our heart, stand our ground, to follow Jesus all the days of our lives. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift out his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us in the online space. See you next Sunday. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.